Volume One, Chapter Fifteenth of The Antiquary. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Antiquary by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter Fifteenth. Be this letter delivered with haste, haste, post haste. Ride, villain, ride, for thy life, for thy life, for thy life. Ancient endorsation of letters of importance leaving mr oldbuck and his friend to enjoy their hard bargain of fish we beg leave to transport the reader to the back parlour of the postmaster's house at fairport where his wife he himself being absent was employed in assorting for delivery the letters which had come by the edinburgh post this is very often in country towns the period of the day when gossips find it particularly agreeable to call on the man or woman of letters in order from the outside of the epistles and if they are not belied occasionally from the inside also to amuse themselves with gleaning information or forming conjectures about the correspondence and affairs of their neighbours two females of this description were at the time we mention assisting or impeding mrs mailsetter in her official duty eh preservest sirs said the butcher's wife there's ten eleven twa letters to tenant and company Thy folk do mire business than i the rest of the burg ay but see lass answered the baker's lady there's twa of them folded unco square and sealed at the tide i doubt there'll be protested bills in them is there any letters come yet for jenny caxon inquired the woman of joints and giblets the lieutenant's been away three weeks. Just dine on Tuesday was a week, answered the dame of letters. What's the ship letter? asked the fornarina. In troth west. Who would be fry the lieutenant then? replied the mistress of the rolls, somewhat disappointed. I never thought he would a look it over his shoulder after her. Ode, here's another, quoth Mrs. Mailsetter. A ship letter, postmark Sunderland. All rushed to seize it. Na, na, ladies, said Mrs. Mailsetter, interfering. I had enough of that work. Ken ye that Mr. Mailsetter got an uncouber book frae the secretary at Edinburgh for a complaint that was made about the letter of Eily Bissett's that she opened, Mrs. Shortcake? Me opened, answered the spouse of the chief baker of Fairport. Ye ken yourself, madam. It just came upon free one in my hand. What could I help it? Folks would seal with better wax. Well, I won't that's true, too, said Mrs. Mailsetter, who kept a shop of small wares. And we have got some that I can honestly recommend, if you can anybody wantin' it. But the short and the lang it is. That will lose the place, gin there's only my complaints of the kind. Hot lass, the provost will take care of that. Nay, nay, I never trust a provost nor bailier, said the postmistress. But I would I be obliging and neighbourly, and I'm no again you're looking at the outside of a letter neither. See the seal has an anchor on it. He's done with it. I know his buttons, I'm thinking. Show me, show me, quoth the wives of the chief butcher and chief baker, and threw themselves on the supposed love letter like the weird sisters in Macbeth upon the pilot's thumb, with curiosity as eager and scarcely less malignant. 
Mrs. Hookbane was a tall woman. She held the precious epistle up between her eyes and the window. Mrs. Shortcake, a little squat personage, strained and stood on tiptoe to have her share of the investigation. "'Aye, it's Fryam, sure enough,' said the butcher's lady. "'I can read Richard Taffrel on the corner, and it's written like John Thompson's wallet, fry end to end.' "'Hold it lower down, madam,' exclaimed Mrs. Shortcake, in a tone above the prudential whisper which their occupation required. "'Hide it lower down. Do you think nobody can read hand or writ by yourself?' "'Wish, wish, sirs, for God's sake,' said Mrs. Mailsetter. "'There's somebody in the shop.' Then aloud, "'Look to the customers, baby.' Baby answered from without in a shrill tone, "'It's nobody but Jenny Caxon, ma'am, to see if there's any letters to her.' "'Tell her,' said the faithful postmistress, winking to her compeers, "'to come back the morn at ten o'clock, and I'll let her ken. "'We haven't had time to sort the mail letters yet.' She ain't sick a hurry, as if her letters were a more consequence than the best merchants of the town. Poor Jenny, a girl of uncommon beauty and modesty, could only draw her cloak about her to hide the sigh of disappointment, and return meekly home, to endure for another night the sickness of the heart occasioned by hope delayed. "'There's something about a needle and a pole,' said Mrs. Shortcake to whom her taller rival, in gossiping, had at length yielded a peep at the subject of their curiosity. "'Now, that's downright shameful,' said Mrs. Hookbane. "'To scorn the poor silly gate of a lassie, after he's keepin' company with her side lung, and had had his willer, as I make nigh doubt he has.' "'It's but o'er muckle to be doubted,' echoed Mrs. Shortcake, to cast up to her that her father's a barber and has a pole at his door, and that she's but a manty maker herself. How to fie for shame! Hot tut, ladies! cried Mrs. Mailsetter. You're clean rang. It's a line out o' know his sailor sangs that I've heard him sing, about being true like the needle to the pole. Well, well, I wish it may be sigh, said the charitable dame, Hookbane. "'but it doesn't look weel for a lassie like her "'to keep up a correspondence with "'Ind of the King's officers.' "'I'm no denying that,' said Mrs. Mailsetter. "'But it's a great advantage to the revenue of the post-office, "'thy love-letters. "'See, here's five or six letters to Sir Arthur Wardour, "'mice to them, sealed with wafers, and no with wax. "'There will be a downcome there, believe me.' "'Aye, there will be business-letters.' I know fry any of his grand friends that seals with their coats of arms, as they call em, said Mrs. Hookbane. Pride will have a fai. He hasna settled his account with my good man, the deacon, for this twelve month. He's but slink, I doubt. Nor would his for six months, echoed Mr. Shortcake. He's but a brunt crust. There's a letter, interrupted the trusty postmistress. From his son, the captain, I'm thinking. The seal is the same thing with the Winnock carriage. He'll be coming home to see what he can save out of the fire. The baronet, thus dismissed, they took up the esquire. Twy letters for Monk Barnes. They're fry some of his learned friends now. See Cyclase, says they're written, down to the very seal, and I to save sending a double letter. That's just like Monk Barnes himsel. When he gets a frank, he fills it up exact to the weight of an ounce. 
that a carvy seed would sink the scale. But he's nearer a grain bonnet. Well, I wot I would be broken if I were to gie sick weight to the folk that come to buy our pepper and brimstone and such like sweetmeats. He's a shabby body, the laird of Monkbarns, said Mrs. Hookbane. He'll make as muckle about buying a four-quarter lamb in August as about a back sigh o' beef. Let's taste another drop of the cinnamon. Perhaps she meant cinnamon. Waters, Mrs. Maysetter, my dear. Hi, lassies. And he had kenned his brother as I did. Money a time he would slip in to see me with a brace o' wild dukes in his poach. When my first good man was away at the Falderkirk tryst. Weel, weel. We's no speak o' that enough. I wouldn't say ony ill o' this, Monkbarns, said Mrs. Shorecake. His brother near brought me ony wild dukes, and this is a dose honest man. We serve the family with bread, and he settles with hoys ilk week. Only he was in an unco kippage when we sent him a book instead of the nick sticks. Wilt he said were the true ancient way accounting between tradesmen and customers, and sae they are, nae doubt. But look here, lassies," interrupted Mrs. Mailsetter. "Here's a sight for Sarine. What would ye guide to ken what's inside o' this letter? This is new corn. I hadn't seen the look o' this. For William Lovell, Esquire, at Mrs. Howdaway's High Street, Fairport, by Edinburgh, N.B. This is just the second letter he's had since he was here. Lord's sakes, let's see, lass. Lord's sake, let's see. That's him that the hale town kens nothing about, and a well fared lad he is. Let's see, let's see. Thus ejaculated the two worthy representatives of Mother Eve. Nay, nay, sirs, exclaimed Mrs. Mailsetter. Hoid away, bide off, I tell ye. This is nine o' your fourpenny cuts that we might make up the value to the post office among ourselves if only mischance befell it. The postage is five and twenty shillings, and here's an order by the secretary to forward it to the young gentleman by express. If he's no at hame. Nay, nay, sirs, bide off. This mun'll be roughly guided. But just let's look at the outside o't woman. Nothing could be gathered from the outside except remarks on the various properties which philosophers ascribe to matter length, breadth, depth, and weight. The packet was composed of strong, thick paper, imperviable by the curious eyes of the gossips, though they stared as if they would burst from their sockets. The seal was a deep and well-cut impression of arms, which defied all tampering. "'Hoid, said Mrs. Shortcake, weighing it in her hand and wishing, doubtless, that the too too solid wax would melt and dissolve itself. I'd like to ken what's in the inside of this, for the lovel dings at all that ever set foot on the plain stains of Fairport. Nobody kens what to make o' him. Well, well, ladies, said the postmistress. We sit down and crack about it. Baby, bring men the tea water. Muckle obliged ye for your cookies, Mrs. Shortcake. And we'll stick the shop and cry hen, baby, and take a hand at the carties till the goodman comes home. And then we'll try your bride of veal sweetbread that you're so kind to send me, Mrs. Hookbane. But wouldn't ye first send away Mr. Lovell's letter? said Mrs. Hookbane. Troth, I canna want to send 
wilt to the good man comes home, for I'd Caxon tell me that Mr. Lovell stays ay the days in Monkbarns. He's in a high fever, with pulling the laird and Sir Arthur out of the sea. Silly old doited carlies, said Mrs. Shortcake. What guard them gang to the doikin in a night like yestreen? I is given to understand it was I Eddie that saved them, said Mrs. Hookbane, and the tree, the blue gown ye ken, and that he'd pull the high three out of the old fish pond, for Monk Barnes had three pit on them to gang, in till they see the work of the monks lang syne. Hoot less nonsense, answered the postmistress. I'll tell ye aye about it, as Caxon tell it to me. Ye see, Sir Arthur and Miss Warder, and Mr. Lovell, so they dined at Monkbarns. But Mrs. Mailsetter, again interrupted Mrs. Hookbane, will you no know be for sending away this letter by express? There's a pony in our callant high gang express for the officer now, and the pony hasna gone above thirty mile the day. Joke was sorting him up as I came o'er by. Why, Mrs. Hookbane, said the woman of letters, pursing up her mouth, you ken my good men likes to ride the expresses himself. We maun gie our ain fish guts to our ain seamaws. It's a red half guinea to him every time he munts his mare, and I dare say he'll be in soon. Or I dare to say it's the same thing whether the gentleman gets the express this night or early next morning. Only that Mr. Lovell be in town before the express gies off, said Mrs. Hookbane. And where are ye then, lass? But ye ken. Your ain ways best. Win win, Mrs. Hookbane, answered Mrs. Mailsetter, a little out of humour and even out of countenance. I am sure I'm never against being neighbour-like and living and letting live, as they say. And since I have been sick a fool as to show you the post-office order, oi, no doubt it mun be obeyed. But I'll no need your callant, money thanks to you. I'll send little Davy on your pony, and that will be just five and three pence to ilka ane us, ye ken. Davy, the Lord help ye, the barn's no ten-year-old, and to be plain with ye, our pony rice a bit, and it's doom sweer to the road, and nobody can manage em but our jock. I'm sorry for that, answered the postmistress, gravely. It's like we mun wait then till the good man comes hame after all, for I wouldn't like to be responsible in trusting the letter to sic a calented jock. Our Davy belongs in a manner to the office. How weel will, Mrs. Mailsetter. I see what you would be at. Whatn't ye like to risk the barn, I'll risk the beast. Orders were accordingly given. The unwilling pony was brought out of his bed of straw, and again equipped for service. Davy, a leathern post-bag strapped across his shoulders, was perched upon the saddle, with a tear in his eye, and a switch in his hand. Jock good-naturedly led the animal out of the town, and by the crack of his whip, and the whoop and halloo of his too well-known voice, compelled it to take the road towards Monkbarns. Meanwhile the gossips, like the sibyls after consulting their leaves, arranged and combined the information of the evening, which flew next morning through a hundred channels, and in a hundred varieties, through the world of Fairport. Many strange and inconsistent were the rumours to which their communications and conjectures gave rise. Some said tenant and company were broken, and that all their bills had come back protested. 
others that they had got a great contract from government, and letters from the principal merchants at Glasgow, desiring to have shares upon a premium. One report stated that Lieutenant Taffrell had acknowledged a private marriage with Jenny Caxon. Another, that he had sent her a letter upbraiding her with the lowness of her birth and education, and bidding her an eternal adieu. It was generally rumored that Sir Arthur Wardour's affairs had fallen into irretrievable confusion, and this report was only doubted by the wise, because it was traced to Mrs. Mailsetter's shop, a source more famous for the circulation of news than for their accuracy. But all agreed that a packet from the Secretary of State's office had arrived, directed for Mr. Lovell, and that it had been forwarded by an orderly dragoon, dispatched from the headquarters at Edinburgh, who had galloped through Fairport without stopping, except just to inquire the way to Monkbarns. The reason of such an extraordinary mission, to a very peaceful and retired individual, was variously explained. Some said Lovell was an immigrant noble summoned to head an insurrection that had broken out in La Vendée, others that he was a spy, others that he was a general officer who was visiting the coast privately, others that he was a prince of the blood, who was travelling incognito. Meanwhile the progress of the packet which occasioned so much speculation towards its destined owner at Monkbarns had been perilous and interrupted. The bearer, Davy Mailsetter, as little resembling a bold dragoon as could well be imagined, was carried onwards towards Monkbarns by the pony, so long as the animal had in his recollection the crack of his usual instrument of chastisement, and the shout of the butcher's boy. But feeling how Davy, whose short legs were unequal to maintain his balance, swung to and fro upon his back, the pony began to disdain further compliance with the intimations he had received. First, then, he slackened his pace to a walk. This was no point of quarrel between him and his rider, who had been considerably discomposed by the rapidity of his former motion, and who now took the opportunity of his abated pace to gnaw a piece of gingerbread, which had been thrust into his hand by his mother in order to reconcile this youthful emissary of the post-office to the discharge of his duty. By and by, the crafty pony availed himself of this surcease of discipline to twitch the rein out of Davy's hands, and applied himself to browse on the grass by the side of the lane. Sorely astounded by these symptoms of self-willed rebellion, and afraid alike to sit or to fall, poor Davy lifted up his voice and wept aloud. The pony, hearing this putter over his head, began apparently to think it would be best both for himself and Davy to return from whence they came, and accordingly commenced a retrograde movement towards Fairport. But as all retreats are apt to end in utter rout, so the steed, alarmed by the boy's cries, and by the flapping of the reins, which dangled about his forefeet, finding also his nose turned homeward, began to set off at a rate which, if Davy kept the saddle, a matter extremely dubious, would soon have presented him at Hookbane's stable door. When at a turn of the road, an intervening auxiliary, in the shape of old Eddie Ochiltree, caught hold of the rein, and stopped his farther proceeding. Why's I you, Kellant? 
What negates that to ride? I canna help it, blubbered the express. They call me little Davy. And where are you gone? I'm going to Monkbarns with a letter. Stirra, this is no the road to Monkbarns. But Davy could only answer the expostulation with sighs and tears. Old Eddie was easily moved to compassion where childhood was in the case. I was no going that gate, he thought, but it's the best of my way of life that I canna be well out of my road. That'll guide me quarters at Monkbarns readily enough, and I'll even herbert away there with the wean, for it knock its hams out, poor thing, if there's no somebody to guide the pony. Say a letter, honey. Will you let me see it? I'm no going to let nobody see the letter, sobbed the boy, till I get to Mr. Lovell, for I'm a faithful servant of the office, if it weren't for the pony. Very right, my little man, said Ochiltree, turning the reluctant pony's head towards Monkbarns. But we'll guide him between us, if he's no eye the sphere. Upon the very height of Kinprunes, to which Monkbarns had invited Lovell after their dinner, the antiquary, again reconciled to the once degraded spot, was expatiating upon the topics the scenery afforded for a description of Agricola's camp at the dawn of morning, when his eye was caught by the appearance of the mendicant and his protege. What the devil! Here comes old Eddie, bag and baggage, I think. The beggar explained his errand, and Davy, who insisted upon a literal execution of his commission by going on to Mock Barnes, was with difficulty prevailed upon to surrender the packet to its proper owner, although he met him a mile nearer than the place he had been directed to. "'But my minnie said, I won't be sure to get twenty shillings and five shillings for the postage, and ten shillings and sixpence for the express. There's the paper.' "'Let me see, let me see,' said old Buck, putting on his spectacles and examining the crumpled copy of regulations to which Davy appealed. "'Express, per man and horse, one day, not to exceed ten shillings and sixpence. One day? Why, it's not an hour. Man and horse? Why, tis a monkey on a starved cat.' "'Father would hae come himself,' said Davy, "'on the muckle-red mirror, and you would hae bidden till the morn's night.' Four and twenty hours after the regular date of delivery. You little cockatrice egg, do you understand the art of imposition so early? Hoit, Monkbarns, didn't set your wit against a barn, said the beggar. Mind the butcher wrist his beast, and the wife her ween. And I am sure ten sixpence is no o'er muckle. You didn't gang so near with Johnny Howie when. Lovell, who, sitting on the supposed praetorium, had glanced over the contents of the packet, now put an end to the altercation by paying Davy's demand, and then turning to Mr. Oldbuck, with a look of much agitation. He excused himself from returning with him to Monkbarns that evening. "'I must instantly go to Fairport, and perhaps leave it on a moment's notice. Your kindness, Mr. Oldbuck, I can never forget.' "'No bad news, I hope said the antiquary. "'Of a very checkered complexion,' answered his friend. "'Farewell. In a good or bad fortune I will not forget your regard.' "'Nay, nay, stop a moment. If, if, making an effort, if there be any pecuniary inconvenience, I have fifty, or 
a hundred guineas at your service till till Whitsunday, or indeed as long as you please. I am much obliged, Mr. Oldbuck, but I am amply provided, said his mysterious young friend. Excuse me, I really cannot sustain further conversation at present. I will write or see you before I leave Fairport, that is, if I find myself obliged to go. So saying, he shook the antiquary's hand warmly, turned from him, and walked rapidly towards the town, staying no longer question. "'Very extraordinary, indeed,' said Old Buck. "'But there's something about this lad I can never fathom, and yet I cannot for my heart think ill of him neither. I must go home and take off the fire in the green room, for none of my womankind will venture into it after twilight.' "'And how am I to win home?' blubbered the disconsolate express. "'It's a fine night,' said the blue gown, looking up to the skies. "'I had as good going back to the town and take care of the ween.' "'Do so, do so, Eddie.' And rummaging for some time in his huge waistcoat pocket, till he found the object of his search, the antiquary added, "'There's sixpence to you. Tobias Nishin. Author's note. Note E. Nicksticks, a sort of tally generally used by bakers of the olden time in settling with their customers. Each family had its own nickstick, and for each loaf, as delivered, a notch was made on the stick. Accounts in exchequer, kept by the same kind of check, may have occasioned the antiquary's partiality. In Prior's time the English bakers had the same sort of reckoning. Have you not seen a baker's maid? between two equal panniers swayed. Her tallies useless, lie and idle, if placed exactly in the middle. End author's note. End chapter 15th.